Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast. So if, you, uh, if you're willing to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, uh, the actual paper version, if you've got that, you can go to the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, so it's definitely more towards the front. We're going to go to chapter 4. Um, if you don't have that, you can always have the, I tell everybody, man, even if you don't believe in this stuff yet, at least download the Version Bible app on your phone, so you, you've got it at your fingertips. Uh, we'll also have it up on the screen behind us. I'm in chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and uh, the... The character that we are talking about here is someone that you may have heard of. His name is Moses. All kinds of movies made about him. Charlton Heston is a really good Moses. For a white guy, I guess. I don't know, because Moses was not. Anyway, starting in verse 1, it says, But Moses protested again. You ask, was he protesting? Well, God just called him to go deliver Israel, the Hebrews, from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And God called Moses to be the one who was going to do this. Moses was having some, uh, some confidence issues. Anyone can relate to that? Something in front of you that you're not sure that you can handle? Been asked to do something that you're not sure you are capable of executing? Moses protested again. Apparently he'd already protested previously. And he said, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw the staff down, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back, as any sane person would do. (laughs) Threw a stick on the ground, turns into a snake, I'm backing up. So is Moses. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 4, the Lord told him, reach out and grab it by the tail, which... I'm not a snake handler, but I've been told that's not the best place to try to grab a snake. Grab it by the tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into the shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Father, I pray that in the moments that we have today, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our minds. Um, to receive from you, Father, to learn from you, to grow, to allow ourselves to be stretched, to allow our hearts to be softened. Uh, Father, all of us, no matter whether we're new, whether we don't believe yet, or whether we've walked with you for years, we all are coming through a process of some level of hardness inside of us that still needs to be softened so that it can be replaced with the power of faith. We ask today, Lord, that you would do that in the time that we have. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you're taking notes today, In our Heart for the House series, this message is titled, What is in Your Hand? What is in your hand? And I'll ask the question again. Obviously, we see it in Moses, but how many times have you experienced in your own life where you found yourself in a moment or in a season or in a situation where you felt like somebody made a mistake in choosing you to be in that spot? Somebody made a mistake in giving you the responsibility. I've seen someone on Instagram posting some crazy videos of things their kids were doing, and the caption down there said, who let me be a parent? (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. I think that's a valid question for every parent. Who let us have children? What in the world? 
And uh, anyone ever shopped at Ikea before? Anytime you purchase anything from Ikea, you have just stepped into something that no human being is capable of doing, which is assembling the furniture that they give you. Regardless of the instructions in the 12 different languages that they provide, including Swedish, I don't even think anybody in Sweden speaks Swedish. That's not true, we love the Swedes. But I'm so glad that I married the woman that I married because not only does she have the fortitude, but also the patience to assemble those type of things. And she calls me back into the room to pick things up. That's my job. But I'm telling you, when I look at those pieces and the little wooden things and the 12 different little whatever they call them to put things together, you can tell by my terminology, I know what I'm talking about, that I am inadequate to do that type of job. But luckily, eventually, it actually happens. But I'll tell you, probably the single most inadequate moment that I believe I've ever had in my life was the moment uh, almost 16 years ago when my wife was giving labor to our first child, giving the labor to, because I wasn't. I was like, you can do it. And all of a sudden, this, this human that is in our likeness is now all of a sudden, boom, in the world. And the doctor takes this human being that just seemingly seconds ago was not present, although we know he was, places him into my arms and says, here you go, you're a dad. And in that moment, as I, you know, in the moment, I'm, I'm numb, and also in the moment I had bronchitis and pneumonia, so that made it even better. But, but in the moment, I, I felt like this, this numbness, but also felt a surge of love something that I had never experienced before. And I have experienced love before. I fell in love with, with, with the woman of my dreams and married her. And I'm like, I've experienced love, but this was different. But still, as I held this child and I think back, I can remember the flood of, of thoughts and memories and fears and concerns and excitements and, and, and inadequacies that were beginning to rise up inside of my mind to tell me I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to do with this child let alone 24 hours later where they just give the child to you and just say, okay, good luck with this. Put them in a car seat, and then you have to drive home at six and a half miles per hour with the hazards on, because you're like taking every back road that you can possibly take. And I remember in that moment just this feeling of, God, if you don't come through, this child doesn't have a chance. But you know what, you know what I did have? I had something inside of me that wasn't from me. It was something that God put there and it was love. And it was something that I, I didn't realize that I had until the moment arose for me to use what I had been given. And by the grace of God, Colby's about to turn 16 in December and, and then we had Kate and then we had Jaden and then we said, that's good. <laughs> and then we rested, that's not true either. We haven't rested since. But the reality is guys is that listen, God's never going to ask you to do something that you, he has not already put in your hand something to accomplish it with. Moses was terrified of the job that had been placed in front of him. You know, the, the, the ironic thing is that when it, comes, when it comes to what God wants us to do, people typically, and I've done this so many times, respond in, in a few negative ways because it kind of conflicts with our human nature. We tend to either justify inaction, I've done that. We question the source that God is using to bring us to action. 
we ignore it altogether maybe sometimes. Now it was just, it was pizza. It was just a bad dream. I just got to move forward. That's, God would never, he knows me. He would never ask me to do something like that. Or we just run from it altogether. There's a whole book in the Bible that talks about that, the book of Jonah. We just run from it. Guilty, I've done that. We argue it. We, we, we rationalize, we try to correct God because we know better. Guilty, man, all these. Or, or on the flip side, and I'm guilty of this one too, we try to do it in pride. Oh yeah, it's about time you called me. You've been holding on my number for months and years. It's about time you called my number. All right, I got this. Fall flat on our face. God's like, no, wait, wait, wait. You're gonna need me. You have what you need, but you're gonna need me. Because here's the cool part. God can only multiply what we place in his hands. And so he gave Moses the stick. Because Moses had this staff. He was, he was a shepherd in the wilderness. And so he already had what God was going to use. And the cool thing is, you continue to read in Exodus, you see the moments where, where God used that staff that was in Moses' hand as the conduit, the, the, the action item, if you will, to see many miracles happen. And ultimately to see an entire nation of people, an entire race of people freed from the bondage of slavery and brought into a place that God had promised them. So are we, are we underestimating what's in our hand? Are we devaluing the very thing that we feel like is inadequate, but God's given it to you and said it's gonna be enough? I think about the moments when, when Jesus was on the earth and he was ministering and, and he found himself in front of groups of thousands and thousands of people that sat there all day outside listening to him teach and preach about the kingdom of God. They witnessed him perform signs and wonders and miracles. And, and it says that Jesus realized, man, we've been here a while and these people haven't eaten. And it's, they came a long ways. Hey, guys, disciples, let's feed them. And they're like, what are you, what? You mean go to McDonald's and bring back? It's like, that's no, too far away. And Jesus is like, what do you have? Two different times this happened, two different separate accounts. One time, they stole some kid's little lunch. You'll have to read that for yourself. It's a great story. They're like, what do you have? And Peter's like, well, we, got, uh, we took this kid's food. He's got some bread and some fish. Clearly not enough. And Jesus says, all right, let's get people sitting in groups of 50. And this is what he did. The disciple had something in his hand. Jesus took it from his hand, blessed it, broke it, gave it back to the disciple. You'll, know, you'll never see it was Jesus feeding the people. It was the disciples feeding the people. The disciples used what was in their hand, but it multiplied when they placed it in the hands of Jesus. I'm telling you, church, so often in our life, this isn't just, this is not just, this is not a money message. Come on. This is a message about what God has placed in your hand because some of you are here today and you've been doubting the ability that you have to have influence in the place where God has placed you. You've actually even been questioning whether God's placed you where you are or not. Man, I can't wait to get out of this place so that I can go and do what's on my heart to do. I can't wait to, to, to not have to be around these group of people anymore so that I can get around people that I really like. Meanwhile, God has said, interesting, because I put you here. There's a reason why you are here. And you don't always have to know the reason. God didn't bring us to a place of understanding all the time. He just brings us to a place of faith. Because faith is saying, I don't understand, but I trust God. Faith is saying, I don't see it yet, but I'm still going to act on what I know God has asked me to do. 
I'm gonna come through, I'm gonna follow through on the things that in front of me, it seems like I'm about to hit a brick wall, but I know God's about to open up something for me. Where God has placed you is where you're supposed to be. Doesn't mean that God doesn't send people to different places and God doesn't move people. Yeah, God's doing stuff. His ways are higher than our ways. He understands more obviously than we understand. But when you are where you are, maximize who you are. And allow God to use the time that he's given you. Allow God to use the abilities that he's given you. Allow God to use the relationships that he's placed around you. Allow God to use the words that are in your mouth. You have, the Bible tells us that even in our words, our theme this year has really been speak life. You remember that? So our, our ability to speak life, to literally prophesy life into dead places. Where you work may be the worst place that you've ever been in your life. <laughs> but you have the ability to change that. You can begin to speak about employers, about employees, about bosses, about coworkers in a way that begins to change the narrative in your environment. You can begin to change the way that you speak about your spouse and see the return come from that. You can change the way that you are even speaking, sometimes jokingly speaking, about your children, but you don't realize that you're actually prophesying brokenness into their future instead of speaking life into who God created them to be. When you have a rebellious kid that won't listen to, you just say, man, God has called you to be a prophet to turn the nations upside down. They might stare at you a little crazy. But after they're 20, that's kind of the magic number, they come back and be like, oh, guess what? Mom and Dad, you're so smart. You're like, it just happened overnight. I don't know what happened. But listen, we can't continue to doubt what God has called us to do. And we can't continue to put ourselves down by saying that I don't have what it takes. That's somebody else. That's what Moses kept saying. Moses kept saying, there's got to be somebody else. There's got to be somebody else. I, I can't do this. And even when we think about what God put in, is putting in front of our church, things that we know and even things that we don't know, but things that we're going to say yes to. I know for myself, for my wife, we're like, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't even know fully to the extent what you're going to do. But we're still going to say yes. <clears throat> Can I give you three quick things? that you need to know about what's in your hand. Number one, what's in your hand is enough. When we surrender our nature to God, our natural to God, sorry, he turns it into supernatural. Everybody has gifts and talents. You don't have, you don't have to be a believer to have gifts and talents. You don't, have to, you don't have to put your faith in Jesus to have gifts and talents. We're, we're born with things that God has already put inside of our DNA, but let me tell you, there's a difference between somebody who just steps out and naturally does what they're good at versus someone who says, God, I, you can do more. So I'm gonna place this in your hands and now I'm gonna step out trusting that you're gonna come through. And the supernatural begins to take over. Listen, when the church just exists in a state of natural or in a state of ordinary, we dishonor and disrespect the God that put us here. God, was never, God has never wanted his church to be some milk toast, weak, pushed around, quiet, other adjectives that I couldn't think of in the moment. <laughs> God wants his church to be filled with power. God wants his church to be filled with influence. God wants his church to be filled with people who are not scared to be who God's called them to be. Number two, what is in your hand is unique. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. 
The Apostle Paul writes in, the, in, in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, he actually tells us that those who compare themselves are not wise. Well, I'm, you know, yeah, I can do that, but I'll never be like that person. Or I'm never, you know, I'm not, I'll never match up to, you know, to that, how that person sings or how that person serves or, you know, that person can do that because they've got all the money. I, this is all I have. I can't really do. Or maybe flip that. Maybe it's a pride situation. Hey, you know, I, I know I could probably do better in my life, but I'm not doing as bad as that person. And we begin to justify. Comparison is a destiny killer, church. Comparison is a destiny killer. It's a, it's a supernatural killer in your life. So you need to know that what is in your hand is not going to be like what's in somebody else's hand. God used other people throughout history to deliver people and to lead people, and not all of them got the, the, uh, got the, the shepherd's staff. <laughs> not everybody got the same tool. This wasn't a tradition that got passed down. Well, who's got the staff? Well, that's the person. No, it was different for everybody. It was different for everybody. Listen, you got to understand today, church, when it comes to what we give today in heart for the house, it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. If you give $10 today to heart for the house and somebody gives $100,000 today in heart for the house, guess who God's going to look at? Both of you. He's not going to say, well, maybe next time you work a little harder. I'm going to go bless this individual over here, you know. No, it doesn't work that way, guys. It doesn't work that way. Don't say, don't, don't put down what you're able to give. Don't put down what your faith is able to complement. Don't put down yourself when you see somebody operating at a level that maybe you want to get to, but you're you. Guess what? There's no one else on the planet before or ever will that can be you because God only made one of you. And for many of us, that's a great amen because we're glad we couldn't handle two of you. I'm just saying. Anyway, <laughs> number three, this is the last one right here. What is in your hand is a testimony waiting to happen. A testimony waiting to happen. Imagine if Moses had said, you want me to do what with this staff? It's a stick, God. It's a stick. What do you want me to do? I'm just, okay, it's a stick. Now you're just being crazy. Let's just walk on. Got my stick. No, he threw it on the ground, turned into a snake. If you keep reading, there were more. He said, take your hand, put it inside your cloak. He said, okay, pulled it out. Boom, leprosy all over his hand. If that done, I'd be jumping back from that too. <laughs> if that doesn't freak you out, I don't know what is. And that's it. it. It panicked him a little bit. He said, now put it back in. He put it back in, pulled it out, and it was fine. So you got to start asking yourself a couple questions in that moment. Number one, have I slept recently? <laughs> Number two, God must be in this place. <laughs> Maybe there's other options, but those are the two that we thought of right now. Listen, we gotta, we got to stop holding back because sometimes we all want the carefree life. We all want the problem-free life. We all want the sickness-free life. We all want the... The, the broken relationship free life. We all want the, the cushy income life. We, you know, fill in the blank. But the reality is, is that God is going to take people through stuff sometimes. Number one, I know people say, because oh, he knows you can handle it and it gets a little cliche, I get it. But you know what, I think he does. Because he realizes when you come through the fire and don't stop in the middle of it, somebody's gonna see you walk out of it. And when somebody sees you walk out of what in their life they didn't think was even possible, it gives them faith to believe for that in their own life. We got so many testimonies in this room. So many. Relationships, jobs, healings. We have so many uh, uh, answered testimonies. We have so many testimonies in this room that are waiting to happen. 
people that we're still praying for, and that we're still praying for who's in the hospital, relatives that we're still believing for that are still sick. Listen, we don't give up on God because he's not doing it in our time. We continue to press forward. But listen, I'm telling you that as you begin to live that generous life, as you begin to believe God for the gifts and the talents that he's given you, that you can do more with it in his hand than you can in your hand. And you begin to walk forward and you begin to take that staff and you begin to throw it down and you begin to speak to people in authority and say, it's time for you to let these people go. As you begin to declare over your family and relationships that you know what, enough is enough. We're not gonna be broken anymore. Enough is enough. We're not going to allow the government to dictate who we are, what we can do and what we can be. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will lead the way and they can follow. When we begin to walk in the, the identity of who we are as Jesus followers, and I know every single week in this room, and we have it's this way on purpose because our church is meant to go after people who feel like they're far from God. And I know there's people here today, you're like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm listening from the outside looking in, and, and that's, that's okay. But I just want you to know that whether you believe or whether you don't believe, there's a God who loves you desperately. There's a God that has a plan for your life. There's a God that wants to take some of those little dreams that you're, you've already begun to see inside of your mind and he wants to breathe on them and bring them to life. What's in your hand is enough. What's in your hand is unique to who God's created you to be. What's in your hand is a testimony waiting to happen. Again, heart for the house today. In, in just a moment, we're gonna prepare to to have our, our, our giving moment for this. And, and I'll give some instructions to that in just a second. Listen, if you're, if you're a guest with us today, just sit back and relax, it's okay. This isn't, we don't, we don't do anything here uh, under compulsion and trying to convince people into it. We just say, hey, this is what God's doing. This is what God says, pray, and then do what God's asking you to do. As I mentioned before, there's two things that I want us to remember when it comes to how we give in Hartford the House today or how we pledge, we can do that too. Number one, Hartford the House is not equal giving, but it's equal sacrifice. And I'll mention this one, this one reference in Mark chapter 12, Jesus was kind of chilling at the temple with his disciples, he was hanging out. And it says that while they were together, he, he observed, he looked and he observed people who were coming to bring their, their offerings to the temple in Jerusalem, and, and he says, check this out. He says, look at this lady, and there was this lady, and, and you kind of almost assume from what she gave that you could almost assume that she probably wasn't wearing nice clothes. She probably wasn't coming in with an entourage. And he says, look around, see all these other guys, these religious people and rich people and wealthy people coming in, kind of looking around, making sure the people could see them. They got their bags of gold, their bags of money and they would drop in their bags and making sure oh, nobody saw that. Okay, there we go, yeah. Just, I'm just giving to the Lord, you know. And he says, but check, look at this lady. And he, I just kind of picture this lady, maybe, maybe even off to the side, embarrassed, because she feels embarrassed about what she's about to give. Maybe kind of walking up along the shadows, just trying to get up and wait until nobody's looking. And it says that she plays two, two coins, just two little coins that the value would be one-eighth of a penny. And he's, he's, he's looking, he's getting his disciples, guys, look, look at her. And I don't know what the disciples thought Jesus was gonna say, whether he was gonna commend the wealthy for their generosity or whether he was gonna condemn her for not really giving something that really would accomplish anything. And he says, you see that woman that just gave that? 
She's given more than all of these. It's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. God doesn't value things the same way that we value things. God's always going after our heart, isn't he? He's never going after our, our leftovers. He's never going after our, our excess. He's going after the first fruits of our heart. And then second, I kind of just said it, heart for the house is literally, it's about your heart. Second Corinthians chapter nine, it says this in the, um, in the Passion Translation. It says, here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves, I love this, a hilarious giver. A hilarious giver. I'm telling you, there was one time that where Kara and I years ago first tested out this theory of trying to outgive God. And it was in probably the greatest moment of financial need that we've ever experienced as a family. At the moment I was without a job and Kara's job didn't even pay for our rent in Washington DC, let alone anything else to take care of our family. And we didn't know what was gonna happen. And we were in a place in the church where we were serving, we were getting ready to launch a second campus. And so we were doing something like this to really kind of get there so we could go into the harvest field where we wanted to go as a church. And, and the only thing that we had left was some money in our savings that we had hoped one day to use that to buy a house. And currently it was being used to kind of fill the gaps each month and it just kept dwindling and dwindling. And God spoke to both of us separately. And he said, give it all. I said, God, okay, all. So what you mean by that? <laughs> I went down the list, tried to justify it, tried to argue it, tried to, you know. And so Kara's like, what do you feel like you're hearing from God? I said, he said, give it all. He's like, me too. And that's when I understood hilarious. You ever laughed nervously? You're just like, well, what are we doing? This is stupid. This is ridiculous. We went home, popped open our the computer, looked at our bank account, said, okay, all righty. Put it in there together. We're like in Jesus' name. Boom, sent it. That week, I got a job. That week, God blessed us above and beyond. And even in the year to come, other things happened in our life, which made what we gave in that moment seem minuscule. But I tell you what, I feel like in that moment, it might have been easier for me to walk on water than it was to put that number in and, and press give. <laughs> and ever since then, we're like, okay, God, that was pretty cool what you did there. Let's see what you do this year. And we, we're on a continued journey. We're, I'm not done. We're on a continued journey to see if we can't outgive God. And I know it's really dumb because the reality is you can't. But here's what you need to understand about who God is. He's looking for opportunities to blow your mind. We limit what God can do because we don't often give him permission to do the things that he wants to do. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Combo Church Podcast.